Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. Welcome to the second season of the Sleeping Barber Podcast. We have an amazing guest. It's Jennifer Reel, who is the partner and global head of strategy at Hideo, former professor of strategy at the Rotman School of Business and co-author of Creating Great Choices. And as you might have guessed, we're going to talk about how to make great strategic choices. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. On the show today is Jennifer Real. Jennifer, thanks for being on the show. This is so exciting for us to talk to. My pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. So big reason why you're on the show today is uh, you wrote a book, co-authored a book with Roger Martin called Creating Great Choices, which is so, it's on the surface, it's like, okay, create a great choice. But it's such an important part of what happens in every single day of our lives. Um, and and so we want to explore that book because there's so many great nuggets in there. Um, you spent 13 years teaching strategy at the Rotman School of Business. Uh, as a professor, adjunct professor. Currently, you're the partner, uh, a partner and global head of strategy at IDEO. Um, and you've published articles in HBR, Strategy Magazine, Global Mail. I mean, if ever there's somebody asked about how to make a great choice, I can't think of anybody <laughs> better. So thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Um, so I don't know if this is the right way to think of it, but it, it seems to me like great creating great choices is really i think a, a form of thinking mm -hmm. and i was trying to think about ways to frame this in a little bit and when i think about thinking um you know there's like edward de bono's six thinking hats that you hear about porter's five forces or mm -hmm. systems thinking and design thinking and then i started thinking about the overlaps between design thinking from ido and the integrative thinking principles from uh, Roger Martin and yourself in, in the book. Um, is is there, um, like, are, are those things related at all? Yeah, I think they're very related. Uh, I think of them as sister disciplines, related disciplines that you can use in different moments for different purposes, but that have some core skills and mindsets in common. Mm -hmm. So if we start with design thinking, uh, popularized uh, in many ways by IDEO, but certainly with roots going back uh, much further than, than IDEO's 40 years. Uh, the way I think about design thinking, you know, when Tim Brown uh, started to help define it in the world in, in an article in HBR, um, he talked about design thinking being the ability to bring a designer's mindset and toolkit to the problems that you're working on. Um, and being able to think about problems from the perspective of desirability, does a user want it, mm -hmm. viability, uh, can it make business sense, and feasibility, is it technologically possible? But for me, the big contributions of design thinking to the world are, are really three things. One, the idea that innovation can begin with real human beings. Mm -hmm. Not with a data set, although you certainly can do that, but with actual real people and their real needs. So mm -hmm. empathy, 
as the root of innovation is one big contribution of design thinking to the world. The second big contribution of design thinking to the world is the idea that you are not certainly early on in the process looking for the answer. You're mm-hmm. looking for many possible answers. The, mm. the value of divergence to look across the landscape and, and mm-hmm. not quickly narrow or converge on a single solution would be the second big contribution of design thinking. And the third and final uh, big contribution of design thinking, in my, in my view, uh, is the idea of, of tangibility being deeply, deeply valuable to innovation. That taking ideas from your mind as early as possible, turning them from ideas into something that can be experienced, touched, smelt, felt, mm-hmm. lived, um, to help you understand what that idea is, but also to help you test it. And that sort of iterative testing loop uh, that we see in Agile and many other methodologies really has its roots in this idea of, of tangibility, testability being, being deeply tied. So if that's design thinking, if we think of it as being bringing those particular design mindsets and tools to the, the challenge of innovation, integrative thinking is after the same objective. It wants a better answer than we started with, but it begins with a different point. So most decision-making, might all argue all decision-making, is a process of weighing trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. This or that. What can I live with? Right. What am I happy with? How do I make sense of the choices in front of me? And lots of times when we're making a decision, we look at the trade-offs and there is a superior answer, an answer that solves the problem. And our job is to choose that, bring people along, make our decision and move on with our lives. Integrative thinking is a tool for those moments where you look at the trade-off and you say, whew, no, not not good enough. The choices on the table, the tra- I'm not able or willing to make the trade-off. If I make the trade-off, I will lose. Mm-hmm. And so I need a better answer than I have now. And integrative thinking holds that you can begin with the tension between opposing ideas. That, mm-hmm. that can be the, the starting place for your problem-solving methodology. And you can work your way through those opposing models to help you create a third and better way. So not a compromise halfway between where you're sort of taking some of the good and some of the bad of the two Mm -hmm. uh, opposing models, but something that creates new value that moves out the frontier um, Mm -hmm. and builds new value in the world. And, And so similar mindsets, we do have a mindset of divergence. Um, we do have a mindset that says understanding multiple perspectives, having empathy is, is incredibly useful. And over the years, we've started to get more and more, uh, engaged in the idea that tangibility testing and learning can be really, really helpful for integrative thinking as well. So the steps are a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. the, the intention of creating an answer that didn't exist when you started is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the mindsets are similar. Hmm. Let me let me just double click into that a little yeah. bit. And, um, you know, do you think it's important that, that individuals are actually distinguishing between the two, uh, the, the two models? Because I, I do understand the overlap. I do see, you know, how, mm-hmm. how it actually works together and, and whatnot. But do you think it's important that you actually distinguish and, and say, okay, now I'm moving here or I'm not? I mean, I, I think it, it's useful in the sense of when you are seeking to follow 
a process with a group, right? Right. They they are different steps. You you are yeah, following right. a different methodology. Um, again, you want to have uh, a mindset that is open to exploration and mm-hmm. open to tangibility, empathic. All all of those are the same. But a design thinking methodology is going mm-hmm. to follow a different set of steps than an integrative thinking methodology. Right. Both mm-hmm. very very useful. But you might say design thinking is is best equipped when you are trying to invent something. It could be um, a product, a service, an experience, an organization. You're, you're trying to to create something that doesn't exist in, in the world or make an existing product service better mm-hmm. uh, than it is today. Design thinking is extraordinarily useful in that context. Right. Integrative thinking tends to be more in a decision-making context. We have a choice to make as an organization, uh, a problem to solve, Uh, And so we want to use this methodology to help this group of individuals solve that problem together um, to see whether a better answer is possible. Yeah, I think I think what you just articulated there really kind of um, painted a different picture for me in my head. So it's uh, a lot more clear now. Uh, That was great. Thank you. Um, If so, if design thinking hinges on the questions of what might be, then would you would it be a fair statement to say that integrative thinking hinges on the question, what would have been true or what would have to be true? Uh, so what would have to be true is, is a question that comes from my mentor, Roger Martin. Um, probably the most important contribution he he's made to the world of creative problem solving. He really grounds that in um, strategy. So, so he right. sees that as a fundamental strategy question. Um, when you are trying to figure out which strategic option to follow, you can ask what would have to be true for me to choose possibility one, two, or three. And that's going to help you understand the conditions under which you would choose each of them. So an extraordinarily Mm -hmm. powerful and important question that we use in the integrative thinking process. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the, the core question of integrative thinking is a little more fundamental even than that, which is um, how might we take the best of mm. these two opposing models right. and create something new? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that sort of initial how might we that that we hold in common with design thinking, those three magic words, how might we? Mm-hmm. Um, but often in design thinking, how might we is how might we meet this need? How might we create mm-hmm. this new thing? Um, and in integrative thinking, it tends to be about how might we integrate? How might we, we bring the best of these models together to create new value? Right. Hey, flashing back to one of the calls we had with Roger, and I remember him saying, like, you have to fall in love with ideas. Mm-hmm. And and then especially ones that you, that you would not normally like because there's good things there. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being such a weird... Um, at the time, weird for my own brain, thinking like, why do I have to fall in love with an idea? Like, I don't understand that. But as I read your book and started thinking more and more about integrative thinking, I, I appreciate it more. And the how might we take the best from the two is maybe a less, uh, a, a more specific uh, set of instructions as, as opposed to you know falling in love with two different ideas, with the, uh, different ideas. But it's interesting um, for a whole bunch of reasons because. I, I see this in myself all the time where you just want to move into action. You go, well, we're just doing this. Like, yeah. 
I, I'm flashing back to my wife also going, I don't need you to do anything. I just want you to listen. <laughs> and so, but it's funny when you get like into business, um, there's always like, you know, what's the quick wins? What's, what are we doing? Like, what's the action plan? And so it's almost fruit. like, yeah, the low hanging fruit. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like you there's not time to fall in love with ideas and to explore ideas and, and to spend time. How might we do, you know, take the best out of that? Is that a pressure that you see in, in, that's common or is there, yeah. is that something that you can get around? I mean, I, I think in some sense it's a false pressure. So yeah. I, there is no doubt that, that organizations are biased to action and to moving quickly and some kinds of organizations, startups, you know, technology companies, even more so. Um, but my observation is this. I think many teams, many organizations seek to move quickly to an answer. And then they spend a huge amount of time and effort trying to get the organization on board and trying yeah. to bulletproof that solution and, and then trying it and it fails. And so they have to fix it. And so the time frame for making the decision, you know, framing the problem, making the decision, and then effective action is actually quite long. And mm -hmm. with integrative thinking, what we're saying is, okay, we're not asking you to extend the time period from framing the problem to effective action. We actually believe using integrative thinking can shorten the time frame from framing the problem yeah. to effective action. But we do want you to spend just a little more time mm -hmm. coming up with an answer that actually solves the problem really, you know, seeking to understand mm -hmm. the the possibilities in front of you and seeing whether a better answer could be possible. And even with that said, you know, the amount of time we're talking about, companies spend months of, I mean, yeah. years of person hours every strategy cycle, <sighs> oh right? Um, and so we're saying, you know, what if you spent six hours with a project team seeing if there's a better answer than you have right now. Um, I yeah. did a, a session for, for a big multinational not that long ago on a very tricky, um, complicated supply chain issue that had ethical and legal implications. It was incredibly complex. It had been something that the company had been working on for many, many years and had put together this cross-functional team of like brand folks and legal folks and supply chain folks. And they had just been arguing with each other. Yeah. for months because they held such different perspectives about what mattered in solving this yeah. problem. Right. And we decided, you know, we would spend, it was six hours over three weeks together going through a process of saying, okay, what really are the two opposing models for solving this challenge? Mm -hmm. We're going to try and fall in love with each of them collectively. You don't mm -hmm. each get to argue for the one you already love. We are together mm -hmm. going to try to fall in love with each of these perspectives we're going to examine those models. We're going to try to question our assumptions. We're going to think about what's truly valuable. We're going to have a different kind of conversation. And mm -hmm. then we're going to see if we can generate a third and better way, a, a solution that is better than the two choices you've been arguing about for months. Mm -hmm. And then figure out, okay, how do we move forward? How would we test this? What are the, what are the next choices? And six hours, it was, you know, pretty high level team at this company. That's not a nothing investment of time. But at the end of it, you could see one, if nothing else had happened, the two camps now understood each other's perspectives in a totally new way, mm -hmm. right? Because they had yeah. unpacked the answer 
we should get out of this, we should stay in this, right? Mm -hmm. To uh, a level of understanding and assumption and values. What is it you value that you see in this model that, that now I can understand in a different way? And had generated not like the greatest solution in the history of the world, but a solution that was meaningfully better mm-hmm. than simply choosing one of those options and leaving half of the team behind. So six hours, I mean, that's maybe a, a heightened example, but it's not months and months. It, it honestly yeah. isn't. It's yeah. finding some dedicated heads down thinking time, which, mm-hmm. you know, the the more senior you get in organizations, often it can feel like you get less and less and less thinking time. Mm-hmm. But actually, thinking is what the company is really paying you for. And so right. figuring out how to carve out some space to think together with your team extraordinarily important both for the state of your business but also for developing the other leaders on your team it's such Mm -hmm. a gift if you think about the moments you've had time with a leader you really admire to have that messy meeting think together with that person and understand their problem solving approaches Mm -hmm. what a development opportunity right what a moment for people to, to learn from their their peers and their bosses and the, and, and the people around them. So that is a long answer to, to what was your short question about how long it takes. But I'm clearly passionate about this. I think that yeah. we, um, we make excuses for why we don't have time to do the things yeah. that matter. And, mm-hmm. and this, for me, is one of those things that matter. I want to, you know, so Mark and I also worked together in a previous life. And actually, that's how that's how we met and shared passion in marketing and digital. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we were talking to, again, Roger Martin about is the fact that, you know, we couldn't recall a time that we are, you know, we're in these annual strategic meetings that we weren't actually doing strategy at that point. And, you know, and where I'm going to go with this question is, where do you think the actual Maybe friction is not the right word, but where is a problem organization that doesn't allow or give that space to their leadership team to actually do engage in that active thinking process and really kind of, you know, start putting into motion some of these bigger ideas? Because everyone falls in love with the rearview mirror and what's happened in the past. And I think, you know, that can you can't. Uh, one of our, my, our one of our old leaders would always say you can't drive a car forward if you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. And a lot of these companies are comp driven. It's like, well, last year we sent an email on this day. We did this. We just do the same thing. And I think that becomes kind of the the problem. But what are you seeing um, as you're kind of venturing and you're working with a lot of organizations? So I think um, it's it's a kind of a fundamental problem with the way we've structured our economy. Like it's not an easy fix, but we have a very, (laughs) that um, sounds like something we could do today. Yeah. Um, (laughs) the, we have a financialized our economy, right? Yeah. Businesses are, uh, geared to think about their stock price Mm -hmm. today, this week in relative terms, as, as you said, be like thinking about comps to last week or last year. Um, which means that when we face this fundamental tension between focusing on the urgent today, this week, this quarter, and truly looking further out to the long run and, and building for the future, every incentive in the organization, no matter how well-intentioned the organization is, mm-hmm. tends to be around uh, the quarter because we have to meet our numbers. Right. Right. And the markets aren't very kind to you saying, we're not going to make our numbers because we're investing yeah. in the long run. 
And so we have defaulted to this very short run planning oriented, optimizing to short run share price kind of perspective within organizations. And it's why I see the companies that often do the best with strategic planning, with with thinking and building for the long term are not public companies. They Mm -hmm. they tend to be companies that are closely held or family owned, Mm -hmm. um, neutralized sometimes because they don't have that same pressure to focus Mm -hmm. on uh, today's stock price. Great point. So that's one thing that I think is is uh, what drives us to to treat what should be a strategy and a long range perspective, long range perspective, as a very tactical, initiative led, short run perspective. I think the other thing, the other big thing that that maybe is more addressable by individual organizations is um, certainty. So mm. human beings love deeply love the feeling of closure, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, um, people who make to-do lists, the feeling when you cross the thing off, yeah. right? there's a little reward in your head. And I will admit, I know no one else would ever do this, but sometimes I will put a thing on the to-do list that's already done. This is a virtual high like, <laughs> Right. To, so I can have that feeling of like, validation that I did the thing. I do that. So we love, great. It's not just me. It's not Um, just you. We love closure and we love certainty. And when we're talking about the future, those things are impossible. Right. Future Mm -hmm. hasn't happened yet. You cannot have closure and you cannot have certainty about the future. And if you come into a strategy process with a desire for Mm -hmm. certainty, with a desire for true closure, you are going to really, really struggle mm-hmm. to uh, perform well in that. And, and so you know, when, when Roger and I talk about strategy, when we at IDEO talk about strategy, we try to move folks away from thinking about certainty mm-hmm. to thinking about confidence. Right. So you can have more or less confidence, even in times like now of great uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen in the next six months or year or 18 months of our economy. Inflation, yeah, global conflict, supply chain shocks, COVID continues. All, like, who knows what is about to happen? But there are things I can be more or less confident about. And I can make choices in light of the levels of confidence that I hold. And I can design my choice making to be geared at building evidence, future evidence that can help build confidence, as opposed to, as V said, backward looking data that's all about sort of understanding the past and admiring the problem as opposed to actually solving it. Yeah, there's so many, th- oh, yeah, there, there, you, so many great things that you just said <laughs> since we started. <laughs> like uh, One thing that popped in my head as you were talking about is like, uh, you know, the design thinking squiggle, there's like that, you know, chaos thrashing at the beginning and then yeah. it kind of smooths, smooths mm-hmm. out as you get towards the end. I don't know if this is true, but it feels to me that it is that from what you're saying, that design thinking squiggle is kind of like whether it's with design thinking or integrative thinking, it's about trying to bring that chaos forward in the process of decision-making so that it happens earlier rather than later. Cause in my mind, I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me that it will happen one way or another. 
and it's painful if it happens at the end. Yeah. Is that is that true? I think that's fair. I I think that <clears throat> the, one of the famous IDEO diagrams um, that made its way out into the world uh, over the last twenty years is is one that's sort of a a, a chart about failure. So mm-hmm. beginning of the project, end of the project, um, the cost of failure go, goes up extraordinarily, right? And mm-hmm. so the argument that IDEO has always made is build failure in early when it's mm-hmm. really cheap, right? Yeah. You haven't invested very much. You can still learn from it because your ego isn't involved, right? Yeah. So you're actually designing little tiny experiments early on so that you can still learn from them. And I would say what you're articulating is another version of that, which is the chaos of, of complexity, mm-hmm. um, moving that forward rather than trying to deal with it at the end. Because there's always going to be complexity once you start to roll things out to the organization, right? Because human mm-hmm. beings are complex and they respond in all kinds of different ways. And so figuring out how to engage in a consideration of tensions early Mm-hmm. Rather than waiting for the very end for people in the organization to say, I hate this idea for the following 18 reasons and needing to follow these incredibly challenging change management methodologies because you haven't considered the opposing points of view, bringing mm-hmm. that forward um, and and really considering it early on is, is a big part of what we're talking about. Yeah. and. And I like the idea of bringing failures. Yeah, you're right. It is cheap when you do it early. If if you do it at the end, it is really can be insanely costly and probably put a lot of companies out of business. Um, it, when you were describing the integrative thinking uh, process and and choosing making a great choice or creating a great choice, it also occurred to me that it's a form of like in that example you had of the groups of people you brought together, it's a form of active listening. Mm-hmm. It almost we're and then I also was thinking about the pro pro chart, which we'll I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more later, but by forcing people to look at the positives or fall in love with ideas, it kind of removes that, well, I don't like that because or you know, that's a stupid idea. Or you know what I mean? It forces you to like find common ground in a way. Is that is that true? I think so. I mean, one of the intellectual forefathers of this work is, is a man named Chris Ardress. Chris was uh, a management professor at Yale and at Harvard. And mm-hmm. he did a great deal of work on thinking about organizations and their design and how people learn. He wrote a great uh, HBR article, um, uh, Teaching Smart People to Learn. Uh, and many of the principles that he brings in uh, to our work are really about how we engage with and understand other people. So active listening is half of the battle, right? Mm -hmm. You need to uh, really genuinely engage with other people and their ideas, bringing empathy to the conversation, seeking to understand their point of view, being genuinely curious about Mm -hmm. what they believe and why they believe it. The other half of it, though, is... um, metacognition, the ability to think about your own thinking. Yeah. What do I believe and why do I believe it in a way that it is auditable for you? You can engage with it and understand it, but you can also share it with others mm-hmm. so that they can 
challenge, engage, advance, build on, right? Mm -hmm. So it is really in the combination of the ability to understand and share your own thinking Mm -hmm. and seeking to understand other people's points of view through active listening, great questions, empathy, Mm. uh, that you are able to gain a richer understanding that enables you to, to move forward. It's interesting because um, there's another idea that I had where sometimes you have like teams that oppose each other to sit on sure. opposite sides of a, of a table and they go, you or you, or they just keep pointing fingers back at each other. And then I've thought about this a few times where it's like, if we can get people thinking about a problem or an issue or a situation as the opposition, as opposed to each other, sure. then you can align together a bit more. And the way you describe what you were just saying, it made me feel like the metacognition part of, if you detach you from how you're thinking, it seems like that's a way to create that um, common objective of solving that problem rather than it being, well, it's my idea. You're attacking me. It's just, it's, it's a form of thinking that got us here. Yeah. We want to decouple people from ideas, right? We we want uh, to move away from this idea is mine and that idea is yours because what tends to happen, um, and this is true in organizations, but it's also true um, much, much more broadly in the world. And you can watch this play out um, in politics and and across the spectrum. Typically when we encounter someone who holds a different perspective than we do, um, our default doesn't make you a bad person that you default to this. It just makes you human. Our default is I am right. Yeah, because I I have understood I this problem it. and this is the answer and it feels yeah. intuitively correct to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting across from you, Mark, and you have a different answer, and in fact, an opposite answer. That makes you wrong, and wrong mm-hmm. people are dangerous, right? My mm-hmm. job is really clear in a world where I am right and you are wrong, Mark. My job is to make your answer go away. It's that certainty part. It's that certainty part, and and typically. Fairly or unfairly, consciously or unconsciously, when we're sitting across from someone who disagrees with us, we put them into one of two buckets. Mm-hmm. We say, here is a person who hasn't thought hard enough or isn't capable of thinking hard enough, and so they are simply wrong. Yeah. And so we treat that person as stupid or naive. Yeah. Um, or we might say, this person is capable of thinking hard enough. They, in fact, do know the right answer. They are choosing to argue for the wrong answer because they must benefit in some way. Mm-hmm. So now they're not stupid, they're evil, right? Mm-hmm. And we treat people in, in these ways. And, and I'm using intentionally provocative language, but think about the conversations that happen between marketing and finance in an organization. Sure. Right? Um, marketing, saying to the finance folks, like, if you really cared about the customer like we care about the customer, you would understand why we have to spend this money. Right. Uh, and finance saying, well, if you could count, you would know that we can't. <laughs> right. Which isn't obviously no, uh, no. an exaggeration. But, like, but not that far from the truth. <laughs> like, I totally get it. And these silos exist be- yeah. because um, we're talking across models. And so we do want to be able to depersonalize the models. We want to be able to say, mm-hmm. okay, here's a model. Here's another model. And maybe even we'll push them out to be a little more extreme than really anyone in the room thinks is the answer. So if mm-hmm. we're trying to decide, should this be something we centralize or should this be something we decentralize? 
And most people are arguing for some compromise. Yeah. I might say, all right, what would it look like if we completely centralized this? Everything happened at head office. It was all designed for scale, completely yeah. centralized. And what would it look like if we totally decentralized it all in the field, all about agility and responsiveness? Let's try to understand and fall in love with those two models. Mm -hmm. The people in the room are able to do that as a group because no one feels that's my model and it is being critiqued. I am mm -hmm. being criticized, right? Mm -hmm. the, the reason we found that you needed to begin by considering or falling in love with the two models rather than critiquing or doing a pro and con list is that um, it just enables people to stay in a space of possibility longer. Yeah. It, it enables them to imagine a better answer versus sort of being demoralized or feeling mm -hmm. defensive about the models that are on the table. Yeah, that's really, that's awesome. Um, in, in the book, um, there's this great visual I, I just wanted to reference because in the book, you kind of go into like, you know, looking for examples. And, and I think you've asked people over the years and gotten examples of sure. uh, some really interesting uh, integrative thinkers. And one that was shocking to me, uh, but I get somebody, I think if somebody submitted the idea of Jay-Z being a great integrative <laughs> thinker. A student of ours um, yeah. wrote an essay and talked about Jay-Z, the rapper, yeah. John Carter as uh, an integrative thinker and it was delightful to me and so it, ma it made its way into the book yeah and, and so there's this line in renegade i have it here it's before i die no lie just know i chose my own fate i drove by the fork in the road and went straight yeah. <laughs> i just love that line it is a like, great line and he goes on to talk about like the choice that he faced growing up in poverty in in a high crime neighborhood um i think the way he put it is i could either have dope in my pockets or lint in my pockets mm -hmm. And like that, that's a hard choice. And yeah. so like, how did making a choice to make art about his circumstance, about the world he came from, mm -hmm. enable him to, to come out of that and, and find a different answer? Why, why is, do you think that's such a interesting example of the creative, sorry, the great creating great choices and in integrative thinking? I just, I just think we we tend to think of of this as something, you know. People will say, "Oh, it's you know, Ag Laffley, CEO of Procter and Gamble, or it's Jack Bogle, founder yeah. of Vanguard." Like these lofty, incredibly uh, thoughtful uh, CEOs, and and certainly Jay Z has become a, an incredibly successful, thoughtful CEO over the period. Mm -hmm. But the kind of choice he was talking about wasn't. An organizational choice. It was a very deeply personal choice with extraordinarily high stakes, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm intrigued by that uh, as we were seeking to to teach integrative thinking to all kinds of different folks. Yes, to our MBAs and our executive MBAs, and mm -hmm. um, but also to to kids and their teachers and and to folks from from all different walks of life. And those kinds of choices are really interesting to consider that, that it's not just about a business problem, but it could be about the choices you're making in your life. Yeah. Cause I did notice that there's um, quite a bit of work. I forget what school board it was from, but I kept stumbling around on the creating great choices framework. 
um, but there's a school board where they you you've worked with them obviously and integrated it within their curriculum. There's a few actually. The Toronto District School Board, which is I think the third largest school board in North America, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, a number of others across Ontario, number of independent schools where where they really have um, leaned into the idea of teaching teachers about this. So. We learned pretty quickly there wasn't a lot of scale in us trying to teach kids. Plus, yeah. we're not teachers. Uh, yeah. of, you know, it, it, nothing but respect for anyone <laughs> who can spend all day, every day in a room full of 14-year-olds. It's not me. Um, yeah. But you know, we could give these tools to educators and they could then figure out how does this apply in my grade 12 English class? How does this apply in my grade mm-hmm. 7 science class? Uh, and we've seen such remarkable and fun applications that we would never have been able to consider. In in some ways, I imagine if you can teach kids and, and it becomes a sort of practice, it becomes mm-hmm. something that they're like, if you go to swimming lessons, you just get better at making great decisions because you've had practice at mm-hmm. that. And just as you would have having gone to swimming, you get better at swimming. Um, so it's 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 a really interesting book in that it's not I love it because it's kind of like a how to mm-hmm. on on breaking down like it doesn't have to be insanely complicated these are not things that people are, that aren't accessible to people um and it's really interesting that you've applied it to like extremes where it's on one end the you know the P and Gs of the world and the other end it's the grade six class in you know Hamilton um, yeah, well, which is one kind of the interesting. One of the cool things we learned is kids are naturally better at this or learn it more quickly. And I think it's because they have less unlearning to do. They don't Hmm. have that same uh, long history that we all get uh, through our education and our career of uh, being told there's a single right answer. Our job is to find it quickly and then defend it, right? We -hmm. we are so well-trained in that and it takes a long time to unlearn it. Um, and you know, kids are able to say, Oh, wait, you're saying there's not a single right answer. And we thought that mm-hmm. would be very scary for children that at first we were worried that they would sort of, uh, yeah. panic a little bit that, well, if there's no right answer, how can I get an A? But it was actually yeah. unlocking for them, especially, particularly for children who had been, uh, afraid to, sh- to voice their perspective in class because they were afraid of being wrong. Mm-hmm. We heard from a lot of those children that, well, I am going to be wrong, mm-hmm. but that's okay because everybody's going to be wrong. Right. So why can't I share my answer? And uh, it's just joyful. But it, it's, yeah, and it's, but that's liberating in some ways because there's yeah. also, I know a lot of people in business, myself included, that, I mean, there's tons of times where I'm like, I just, I'm not going to say anything because I know the answer's wrong. And, or, you know, introverts or, you know, yeah. just being afraid of whatever, for whatever reason, just afraid of speaking up. But then it's that answer that that could have solved a giant problem for people that you're or, missing out on. You know, as we as we often say when we're doing brainstorming at IDEO, you know, the reason we want to have a rule in brainstorming of no judgment of other people's ideas, of your own ideas, is that it may not actually be the idea you share it's what it might inspire in someone else. Sure. Right? What what yeah. they might build from what you share. And so what we want to do is get people to to say the silly idea, the wild idea, mm-hmm. the crazy idea, um, and go too far. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> because we can always come back from there. Um, but it does take a, a certain degree of comfort that it's okay to share something that's half baked or a quarter baked or barely baked. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the rule of the game. That's, that's going to be how we get from where we are to where we need to be. And so in, in that line of thinking, then, I mean, there's the, the title of the book, which I found really interesting, like great choices is one thing, but creating great choices is interesting. And then taking that creating word and, and, yeah. and looking at the contents of the book, creativity is a big part of it, which you don't necessarily think of uh, or associate with like a CFO or a CEO or anybody in the C-suite really being creative other than like for we're like I don't know, Johnny Ive, maybe. Um, what, what's the connection there and why, why, why do you think that creativity is so important in the process? I mean, I think creativity is, is one of the most important skills for literally all humans across all contexts. But I think we often confuse creativity and artistry. Mm-hmm. So the ability to draw well, the ability to make something beautiful, whether it's a piece of music or writing or right. Mm-hmm. So artistry is valuable in and of itself. It is um, important to the world. Creativity for me is, is a little different. Creativity for me, I will massively lower the bar on what creativity is. The ability to imagine something is different than it is. Mm-hmm. Right to think of a potentially better answer tomorrow than we have today. That, that's creativity for me, right? Mm-hmm. We all have that ability. It does get trained out of us, and so we have to practice it and build that muscle. But mm-hmm. when we called the book Creating Great Choices, it was to say you know, so many people talk about making choices, which right. is accepting the trade-off, making the tough decision, uh, the buck stops here, embracing the trade-off. And integrative thinking says, what if my job wasn't to choose, but to create, Mm -hmm. to build a better answer than we have today? Then that's a a different skill set that is complementary to the skill set that we all learn early on around how you make a decision, assess, Mm -hmm. make the trade-off. This is about saying, you know, what what are the steps you could go through as a group to actually have a better chance of creating a new answer that didn't exist. Yeah. I keep coming back to this thought about time and the mm-hmm. pressures that people are facing. It. Um, and so when you think about creating and creativity, you know, there's like the idea and it's probably just a default that I keep thinking about painters or artists of some sure. kinds where, where there's like this, um, you know, you, you get writer's block or you get like, the creative process and you just see the creative struggle that people go through. And, and I think, um, in some ways in business, you look at that as going, that's totally inefficient. That's not the way we were. We, we know we make good decisions. We, you know, it's that action oriented thing we were talking about earlier that I keep coming back to. And so like, there's so many choices that you could make, like, how do you know which, choices to spend the time on creating better ones do the answers on the table solve the problem (laughs) right so if if the problem can be solved and it's just about bringing people along it's great you know if or you know if it's 
a low-cost decision or an easily reversible decision, right? Fine. Make the choice, right? If you're deciding mm-hmm. what to have for lunch, just decide. Don't try yeah, to find yeah, the integrated sure. solution, right? <laughs> Integrative thinking tends to be um, when those answers uh, aren't good enough, when it doesn't solve the problem, and where, where the answer matters, right? Where, where you're trying to do something important. So we see companies apply it on their strategies. We see them apply it in, in really important investment decisions, people decisions, right, that are hard to reverse, that matter for the organization. And that they've been struggling with. So there may be organizational challenges that if you think about your company, where mm-hmm. you feel like you keep having the same conversation over and over, we keep coming back to it, we keep trying mm-hmm. to solve the problem, that's yeah. a really good signal that you need integrative thinking. Or if you feel the organization is in a, in a pendulum swing, right? So we tried to be totally centralized and it didn't work. So then we totally decentralized and it didn't work. So now we're centralizing again. It's like, okay, that's the definition of insanity. Remember when it didn't work last time? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that would lead you to believe it will work this time? <laughs> so those kinds of circumstances where the answers just aren't giving you what you need, that's where integrative thinking can be valuable. But it's also, I don't want to create a sense that that it's this incredibly comprehensive, detailed process. Integrative thinking is also a way of being. It's, it's a mm-hmm. mindset you bring to interactions. You and I are going into a meeting and I know based on my past experience that you and I often disagree, mm-hmm. that we often have different perspectives. What is my default response when you disagree? Is it defensiveness, doubling down on my perspective and trying to convince you that I'm right? Mm-hmm. Or is it curiosity, openness, a willingness to seek to understand what you see that I don't see, to share how I'm thinking about it and invite you to engage in that same Mm -hmm. consideration, which could be a three-minute conversation over the course of our sort of working relationship that can change the dynamic of our relationship from one that is adversarial and uh, combative to one that is more collaborative and, and has more genuine... Uh, connection or value between mm-hmm. the two of us. So yes, integrative thinking can be a process you follow with a team, but it can also be an intention or a mindset that you bring to just be more open mm-hmm. to opposing perspectives or to people who see the world differently than you do. I used to work with a guy that um, you just made me think of, I, he was the smartest guy that i and I worked with everybody referred to him as the smartest guy in the company. But uh, whenever you were in a conversation with him, like it got to the point where it was just so automated I, or automatic that I heard this comment that he would say that um, I now I'm thinking about it. But anytime that there was a conversation, he, he his default was always, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Like he didn't yes. judge anything. And I was like, yeah. huh, that's really fascinating that he does that all the time. Like that's just... Yeah who he is. He was just always so curious to learn things. So that, that is my cheat officially. People who work with me will tell you if someone says something I don't understand or I disagree with, and I'm not quite sure how to inquire specifically, Mm -hmm. I will default to saying exactly that's interesting. Say more like that, that. And so now everyone knows that means I am like 
confused or disagree. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it is an invitation to say, like, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm there. Like, mm-hmm. help me understand, say more, tell, tell me more about how you're thinking about it. Um, there's a generosity to that, mm-hmm. that, that can be really valuable in relationship building, but also in just advancing your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it creates, I think one of the things you said before, and it helps you build a list of possibilities that you didn't previously understand probably. I think so. Um, so if you don't mind, I, w- I want to try that. We were talking about this before. We're going to try this little experiment uh, if you're up for it. Um, there's a whole bunch of things in marketing and you you brought up one of them, like marketing saying, hey, finance, we need uh, we need some more cash to do the things that we're trying to do. And then saying, uh, yeah, where's the show me the money? Like we just don't have it. Right. And then there's this other side, which is marketing and sales often is sales teams going, where's the leads? And the marketing's going, well, we're, we're, we're giving you leads. And they're like, the leads are crap. And it's the whole Glengarry Glenn Ross thing. And so there's this, and, and we were talking about the need for quarterly versus long-term. So I think marketing is in one of those funny spots where you have one foot in the present and one foot in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're constantly trying to find ways to invest in the future, but also deliver in, in, in the now. Um, and so I would put that in terms of like, do you put all your money into ROI type of activations? You know, just give me the 50% discount uh, or whatever the thing is that you see all the time on, uh, you know, incentive, like Black Friday, that kind of thing. Um, to deliver the comps and the sales today, get the leads today, that kind of thing. Versus we need to build a brand, drive market penetration in particular areas, um, build recognition for the products and services. And, and so uh, I feel like that's a, that's a choice that we're often forced to make. And, and if you don't mind, we could try running through this uh, process. Yeah, let's <clears throat> give, give it a try. So um, what I'm hearing is um, sort of a fundamental tension between investing in and focusing on the tactics that drive value today, right? Yep. So uh, promotion, uh, the shorter run kinds of things that we know have a, a relatively certain or predictable return on investment. So that's one model. We could put all of our attention, resources, and focus on short run tactics to, yeah. to maximize return today. Yeah. Or we could invest in the longer run in slower burn brand building, in future technologies and tactics that will be how value is created years from now, but not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this is this is a real choice that every organization faces, right? Mm-hmm. Which which of those will it be? And most organizations are like, I oh, will try to do a bit of both, but often the short run is going to win. And when there's a, a you know crisis moment, we mm-hmm. move a bunch of budget from the long run to the short run mm-hmm. <laughs> and we move people and we say, don't think about that right now. Everything's on fire. Right. Um, so what we would want to do in integrative thinking is to try to fall in love with each of those two uh, perspectives. Um, and so if we start with the short run mm-hmm. and we think about us as a company, and we think about um, 
let's imagine that, that this is a company that, that has an intermediary, a channel, so a retailer or, right, so as, a, as another player. And then there's the end consumer. What okay. you would want to do is say, you know, what would be great about short, focusing on the short run? Uh, focusing on those things that we know are are likely to earn a predictable return. What's good about that for us as a company, for our team? What are some of the things that occur to you, Mark? What are, mm-hmm. what would you say? What's good about it? I mean, it, it solves the problem of revenue that everybody's going after. Um, there's, um, I'll just carry on with because you can go I'm struggling in my mind going down the B2B path versus B2C path but let's talk about you mentioned B2B B2C like a retail environment so um we'll go down that path B2B if you prefer either way either way I'm just in my head I'm just keep bouncing back and forth but either way like the um like often you're you can show a result which is great because in the now you've got if you're looking at the short term you've got money that you're putting in against a particular objective of revenue. And then because you've got that revenue coming back, especially if it was say an e-com or if it was B2B, it'd be like generating leads today. You see these leads coming in and you can measure your pipeline that way. So, um, so there's an immediate sort of uh, projection that you can apply to the short term. Yeah. So there's clear results. There's predictability. Mm -hmm. Um, As you think about, the customer, the consumer, the intermediary, like how might they benefit from us taking a, a very short run, more tactical approach? What what would be some of the good things for them? Uh, well, they feel like I'll go on the retail side now because they if there's a discount, they feel like I always think about the value equals benefit minus cost. So they're getting more value because the cost is coming down uh, and the benefit isn't changing. It's remaining the same. And what so about that, the for consumer? Them, well, that's what I'm saying. On the consumer side, they're yeah. spending less, but they're getting great value. Oh, so they gotcha. Feel I, was, I yeah. was thinking the retailer would appreciate the same, right? Because they, oh. too, are paying less and getting more value, notionally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, from the consumer side, I think they're getting whatever the thing is that they're looking at. And it's discounted, so they feel it has bigger value. Um, so they feel they're um, rewarded almost. Great. So then if you were to flip gears and think about investing in the brand for the long run, maybe deprioritizing some of those shorter run tactics and promotions, but really thinking about um, that longer term equity Mm -hmm. that you're trying to build, investing in longer term technologies and the future of your business. Mm -hmm. Again, what would be some of the benefits to taking that approach? For consumer um i would say some of the benefits one thing that comes to mind is that they there's more from a like that brand building side of things there's more you get more reach when you do those kinds of things typically um and so on the consumer side there's a benefit because of the reach that the invest the company's investing in and they're not looking at sales today the consumer discovers things they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's new solutions that are out there that are appearing to them um, that can solve their problems that they didn't know before. So I think that's one of the benefits that they consumers who have a problem, they're like all of a sudden, well, there's this cool new thing that I didn't realize that existed. 
um, that can help me solve my problem. So that's, I think, part of it from the customer side of things. Yeah, less incremental, right? It's more likely yeah. that that you're going to have more breakthrough uh, solutions to jobs to be done. Um, what about for the, the company? company? Yeah. So the company, the benefit there is, um, I keep thinking about market penetration, where the um, if you're trying to expand your footprint, if you're trying to expand your your market share um, through that. Brand building is the way to do that typically because you're you're not worried about the return right away. So you can invest in the future new customers that will generate returns tomorrow as opposed to the ones that are going to generate returns today. Yeah. Anything else? So future cash add? flow is, is yeah. another way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Have so, you got any other thoughts about brand building benefits? Either from a customer side or the company side, uh, it's 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 it's. I think you you covered it because I, I came in a little bit late on the conversation. But you're trying to identify like metrics to identify brand, just benefits like oh, from benefits. a company's perspective of, of building a brand or or. Well, longevity uh, becomes one of those things. The the mind yeah. structures that you, we we've been talking about, and uh, you know, being able to build that affinity is a benefit mm-hmm. to the brand. The Oh, actually, who was it? It was Jorge and um, and uh, Graham, Graham who were talking about like it becomes the the benefit of brand. It's the shortcut to the, of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. So it's th- that recall that you're able to to have becomes the, I guess, almost the the idea of what the brand really is there meant to do. Mm-hmm. Reduce that friction to yeah. a product price or or service. Mm-hmm. I love that. So if we say, if we think about model A being, you know, prioritizing short run tactics to, to boost revenue in, in the short run, we're mm-hmm. hearing like that can deliver. Yes. Mm-hmm. The benefit of actual revenue. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, it's clarity, it's predictability. There's, there's direct value in the short run to the consumer from a price versus benefit mm-hmm. kind of perspective. They feel rewarded. I would also say, you know, if we keep layering onto that, there's agility. You can respond more quickly mm. to changing sure. conditions. There's a responsiveness that happens. And then if we say long run, investing in the brand, you know, investing in the, those future ways of winning with consumers, we heard greater reach. That's probably more sustainable growth over the long mm-hmm. run, um, greater choice for consumers, more likely to have breakthrough innovation or, or new solutions that are new jobs to be done uh, for the company, greater market penetration when you're able to come up with those uh, mm-hmm. innovations and those changes. So I think there's sort of a longevity and a sustainability that we're talking mm-hmm. about. And so as you start to unpack like what the true benefits are from focusing on the short run and focusing on the long run, the idea is that you're going to start to see there are powerful benefits to both approaches, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not that I can dismiss someone who is making the argument that we need to focus on these short run tactics. And it's not that I can dismiss someone who says, actually, the thing to do is invest in the long run. Mm-hmm. And then what you want to be able to do is start to examine the models. That's the step two of integrative thinking is to start to say, um, what assumptions am I making? How do we think mm-hmm. about cause and effect here? How are these models similar? How are they different? 
Um, and so it's really about holding the model's intention and saying, like, what do I notice as I look at these? And so as I just described those, the benefits of those two models to you, were there things that struck you about um, how they're similar, how they're different, assumptions we might be making, um, things that are really valuable from the two models? What comes to mind for you as we articulate those benefits from the two? What comes to your mind? The, well, the one thing that comes to mind is thinking back because I, I, a little bit because I, 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 having read the book and trying to use it now in my day to day, it's a little bit more about seeing how the sausage is made here. Yeah. So it's kind of like the pro pro component of examining those uh, or articulating the models. All of a sudden, it's an interesting experience sitting on this side of it because it's not a fight about which one is better. Right which is typically where this conversation goes. Yes. It's about figuring out what is good about each. And it's very subtle the way you did it and very skillful the way you did it. But <laughs> um, but it's it's an interesting thing because often that's where this goes. And there's not really space for that the fight at the beginning because it's not about trying to fight which one is best. So Absolutely. that's the first thing that I noticed. Yeah. V, is there anything that strikes you as you heard me talk about the benefits of the two models, similar difference, assumptions, things that, that you sort of say, here's what's really valuable from each of those two? What, what comes to mind for you? I actually love what, what, what Mark said. And I think it's, I don't want to use the term like iterative approach, but it's really kind of allowing for, allowing space to exist for in both instances, right? So when you're thinking about like how you're, how you're approaching these, these models, I think there's there's value in in understanding what is it that you're trying to achieve and how, and then which of the two is actually going to help you get there quicker, if you will. Because I know that in the context of business, it it is the time is money, right? So I, I love the I don't want to maybe it's interchangeability, but it's like yeah. the also the evolution. I don't know. It yeah. for in my mind, I see them like playing together, but also they sure. they also work very they're very powerful in of like on their own as well. Absolutely. So if, if we were if we were doing this in a larger group, we'd start to dig into a conversation about examining the models where we would raise questions like, mm -hmm. someone might say, you know, when I look at the short run, uh, the assumption we're making is that those short run tactics could add up to long-term value. If yep. we question mm -hmm. that, like what if those short run tactics are too scattered and they're distracting us from the long run? How would we think mm -hmm. about it? Or we might say, you know, what we believe that focusing on the long run on the brand is going to cause greater innovation in the organization, greater ability to come to breakthrough solutions. Right. What if we question that assumption? How might focusing on the short run actually enable us to right. innovate effectively? And so you would start to explore those questions, break it down, and then get to a place where you say, okay, now that I've done that, I've fallen in love, and then I've started to examine what could a better answer look like? How might I start to think about a solution or an integration between these? And, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've had conversations about these kinds of tensions before. And, and sometimes organizations will say, you know, it's really about um, doubling down on that long-term perspective in a way that enables more effective short-run tactics. Mm -hmm. So the long run becomes the anchor. And we weigh our short run tactics against that long run perspective. Or you might do the opposite. You might say, we are going to focus on immediate 
consumer needs, what's happening in the market right now. And we're going to have to figure out a way to take the, the agility and the responsiveness that is created from that and figure out how that can add up to a more mm-hmm. sustainable solution over the long run. And you start to imagine and play with like, what could that look like? How would we build that together? And then mm-hmm. the final step uh, of integrative thinking is about saying, um, you know, how would we test it? Yeah, that's an interesting one too, because the the testing part, I think that's, it's fascinating in that um, reflecting what you said early in the conversation, which was, it's not about creating um, certainty, it's about creating confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so creating a test and like in marketing, we always do A-B testing, like that's a common yeah. thing. Yeah. So in my mind, it's, it's a tool a b testing whether it's the, or, or if you want to do like um uh, like a lift test of some kind like you can look at paired market testing and and create scenarios that are uh allow you to to test these these options without as we were talking about before too like fail early because it's yeah. cheaper rather than commit to something at the end so i love that idea about that yeah. confidence and and finding the failure points or finding uh, improvements early rather than waiting till the end and, and finding out a year from now, if you went all in on the brand building that a year from now, you're like, whoops, <laughs> there's, we didn't get sales or you go all in in sales and you're like, whoops, we ran <laughs> out of customers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Time out. It's in, it's interesting. It's the other thing I found is interesting. That little experiment was, um, it's it's a little uncomfortable because mm. you're asking me to, especially because you're asking me very reasonable questions about things that um, <laughs> I should know the answer to. And I'm all of a sudden realizing I don't I know don't. the explicit way to articulate an answer. It's just so, a default to something where I'm like, I just know because I know. I think that's about practice, right? I think that's about you and your team getting more practice at, at articulating the thinking behind your thinking. I will also say there was a certain falseness where we're recording you by yourself answering this question. So there's a little additional pressure. Sure. That there wouldn't be in your project team. Um, but there, there, it is, it does take some practice. I think you're right. It's not something that we are um, currently well-trained in doing. And so practicing it is really powerful. Yeah. It sucks that I missed it. <laughs> well, you got in right towards the end there, but okay. it was good to have you there. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, in the book also, you've got like the TIFF uh, example. There's a bazillion great examples that are super practical. There's Lego. Um, there's a police force training. There's an Apple iPod as an example. Tennis Canada as an example. I mean, Vanguard Group, you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, uh, Vogel, right? Yep, Not Vogel. Vogel. Yeah. Uh, Unilever, there's so many examples where you've like taken this model and either broken the pieces of it and given a specific example how they've done or done the whole uh, process. So I, th- I just found that super interesting, um, the way you guys had laid out that book. Thank you. So this has been amazing. I can't thank you enough for your time. This is just fascinating. Um, and I, I, love, um, I love the challenge of like thinking about how I think um, and, and finding commonalities with, with how to create better choices. Mm-hmm. 
you know, thinking about the commonalities between each person that's contributing to the idea. So thanks for sharing the book and writing the book and sharing your thoughts and your time. It's just been fascinating. Well, thank you both. A really enjoyable, um, absolute pleasure to be with you today. How can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing and um, whether at IDEO or um, with the book? Um, well, so they can they can buy the book online at all major online retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, encourage you to do that. Uh, and uh, you can find me at IDEO if, you, if you're seeking to, to get in touch with me. That's where I spend most of my time. You can also find me on Twitter, just my name, Jennifer Real. Um, those are probably the best ways. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jennifer. My Take pleasure. care. And now the post pod discussion with V and Mark. You want to kick it off? Post, 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 post pod. Here we go. There's the word. <laughs> There's the P. <laughs> post pod. Let's go. All right, let's do it, V. So, Jennifer, make creating great choices. I think, think it was a great choice bringing her on the podcast. Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Might have been the best choice we made all, all week. Fantastic. Like, she's, man. And, you know, it's funny because when I was looking at, or sorry, when I, I understood both, you know, if you will, frameworks uh, at a very high level. But I think the way she really articulated them actually uh, it was almost like a little light bulb went off in my head, and I mm-hmm. completely now I understand like where each kind of plays in their in their own space. And I think that's important to say, you know, when you're in those conversations where you're thinking about strategy, when you're thinking about you know maybe it's a new product. Well, there's a different framework for thinking about launching something or creating something mm-hmm. versus now where you're mm-hmm. trying to solve for a problem. And I think mm-hmm. I, I just I just loved the way she articulated it. I agree. I mean, there's um, there's so many interesting things about it. And one of the uh, bits of research I did, um, or we both did, looking at, um, there's this framework about looping back to stance. And so, mm-hmm. so often we just get into these situations where we're like, make a decision, make a choice, make a decision. Yeah. It's like, you know, A or B, left or right. Well, you know, and you make because you have this idea about quick wins and you have to think quickly on your feet and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And what I like about this process is there, there, I mean, there's always going to be scenarios where you have to make quick choices Mm because you just don't have the time, but probably more often than not, there's more time than you think there is. And so then thinking about how you make the choice is really cool. Yeah. There's this diagram that we found called looping back to stance. So you will often go action, outcome, action, outcome, mm-hmm. action, outcome. But when you think about your stance that leads to the thinking, that leads to the action, that then leads to the outcome, it's kind of an interesting m- model in that you don't often spend enough time thinking about why yeah. you go to just the choices that you make. And instead, think about the, the, I guess the perspective mm-hmm. from which you are making those choices. Yeah. So I love that part about it because it, it opens up a lot more opportunity and possibility. No, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring up uh, that point there. And I think, I don't know if the listeners would have picked up on this, but she also 
she also kind of um, wasn't really a framer, but she talked about like, you know, the ability to frame the problem or sorry, the process around framing the problem, um, then making the Mm -hmm. decision and then the effective action, like three key steps, Mm -hmm. if you will, when, you know, you're, you're sitting there and you're trying to strategize. And when we look at that, I guess those three steps and the amount of time that it usually is within that. What I loved is like the way she really kind of double clicked into the the notion that we're not looking to change the amount of time it may take you to go to market with a new strategy or bring a product mm-hmm. to life or whatever the case may be. It's about making sure you're doing enough of that work or that pre-work up front so that mm-hmm. you're not adding time to that timetable. So Mm-hmm. The effectiveness side of this is that you're actually maybe reducing the time to market because you're doing totally. that pre-work. And man, and I know we asked her this, uh, but it was around the the notions like, I know you and I have, you know, we've sit in these boardrooms, we've sit in, the, in these settings where we're strategizing and we're just going in loops and loops and loops and mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere fast. And I, maybe it's in those moments where you really have to apply yourself and say, hey, we have to compartmentalize some of these things here's a mm-hmm. framework that you can really kind of go into and start yeah. you know really making it more bite-sized for for individuals because yeah how many hours have we wasted i i'm saying this and i feel exhausted saying it because <laughs> i look back on how many hours i've wasted yeah it's that weird it's weird i don't know no i totally get it it's it, just this morning i was actually um for one of my classes we're not in the same class right now, but I'm in yeah. strategic operations and it's a lot about quality, mm. uh, quality management, total quality management. Right. And the question that I was asked this morning is how do you, or I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but it was something like, can you inspect quality into a product or does you, do you have to start with quality in order to manufacture a quality product? Hmm. And so the, the theory around that with uh, Deming, who's, the guy that was a proponent of this is that you can't just, you know, start with garbage and then put quality in the inspection process right. and then make a better product than right. what you started with. Right. Right. So you have to actually start with good stuff in order to get a good outcome or good product or good service. Right. And I feel like the description that you just had about, you know, wasting time, it's kind of like start with the good yeah. base information, the good base knowledge, the good base options. Yeah, and put quality in at the front end of that system because you can go through the whole thing, um, like that design thinking squiggle yeah. is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, and then thrash at the end, and then end up with some sub subpar decision, just because you had to make a decision. But if you didn't actually spend the time to think and explore and find the quality materials yeah. you needed in order to make the decision, then you end up uh, with something subpar at the end. I love that. Yeah. No, that's a great example. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, she also talked about, you know, um, just going over my notes. I think I have like four pages of notes. Like, it was just insane. Um, actually, I did kind of find funny. This is a total caveat when she mentioned that, you know, the, the idea of having a to-do list and putting something on the to-do list, even though you've already completed it, just so you can have the satisfaction of crossing it out. I thought that was yeah. hilarious. That was kind of like, oh, Jesus, that is me to the T. But anyways. Uh, oh, around integrated thinking. 
you know, and what, what I liked about then again, how she, she really kind of, you know, double clicked into it. It was like, she said, begin with the tension between the ideas. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like when you think about, you know, using that, that framework of integrated thinking where you're trying to problem solve, really, it's like you're trying to essentially bring to the table as many solutions as, as possible and then trying to go mm-hmm. through the framework and try to make, you know, the, I guess, find the best solution um, that everyone could kind of really commit to. But the way she said, you know, begin with a tension between the ideas. It's almost like you're, you're introducing, you know, friction is not the right word. It's like you're introducing that tension because you want that tension to then actually go through that process of, you know, uh, weeding out what will work and what may not work. And I thought that was an interesting way of positioning it. And I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it's in a way, as you're saying that, I was thinking about a pro pro chart. Mm. Um, and what I loved about that is, um, it gives you an opportunity to create that tension because yeah. rather than just dismissing an idea and saying, I don't like that. I don't, mm. You're for, like in going back to the Roger Martin thing, falling in love with other yeah. people's ideas. It forces that, that particular tool forces you to think about what's good about something that's not yours. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. like, you know, we all love our own ideas, but uh, <laughs> especially I, I love all I love my, my ideas. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, when you stop and think about and when you're forced to not think about what's bad about something else and think instead about what's good about something else, yeah, I think it, it forces you to create that tension, uh, in a really practical way, Yeah, which I thought was really interesting about that tool. I think where, where we're going to continue to struggle, um, you know, is is because like there's still this sense of, and I think she talked about it being like that our the problem is like <laughs> how our economy has been structured. Um, mm-hmm. It's like how can you actually start enforcing a lot of this change in organizations where you can start thinking a little more long term or giving the space to leadership mm-hmm. to think more big picture and whatnot versus mm-hmm. uh, you know quick to action. I think she referred to it as. Um, you know, uh, organizations have become biased to action and to move just mm-hmm. quickly, naturally, like keep going, keep mm-hmm. going. And even if you think about the idea of like agile, like it's that iterative mm-hmm. thinking and, and just like keep moving. So it really mm-hmm. plays into this idea, like just doesn't matter. The idea may not be perfect. Just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. does it result in maybe short-termism being myopic? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think like, I want to be careful how I say this, but I think there is still going to be that struggle where organizations are going to force leadership or marketing leaders or anyone actually, it doesn't even have to be marketing in this case, um, to really kind of be quick, think on their feet and just, and Mm -hmm. just go. And it's hard to use this framework with that you know, um, with that reality that we're constantly faced with. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you think about, um, what, what does it really cost you Mm. to spend a couple of, like she mentioned that one example where they'd spent six hours, uh, over a couple of meetings making a choice. And you mentioned, we've, we've all spent time in 
just wasting time in different <laughs> meetings, right? Where if you have a bit of a, and also you go to these meetings and there's no agenda mm. and there's no like particular outcome that you're looking for from the meeting. Yeah. It's just people sitting around talking. So if you structured meetings a little bit differently, uh, which I think this could do. That's fair. Yeah. Where um, the production that you're looking for is a decision, mm-hmm. which is the whole purpose of knowledge worker is to create decisions mm-hmm. then then spending six hours like seems like almost really no cost at all yeah like to in order to get the assurance or the confidence uh not the certainty but the confidence the confidence a good choice that's uh, a good point actually i think the, yeah yeah it's it's kind of like um i don't know i just keep thinking about this quality thing thinking about maybe it's it's just top of mind right now, but like it really is about, I think quality choices, not just about um, just making a choice because the knee jerk reaction is just to go, Oh, we got to choose. Let's go A or B. And then, yeah, it, it just, I think it matters to have, take the time to make sure that it's a good decision. Well, it's not only like, let's choose A or B there's C in there, which C is like, what did we do last year? Right. And it's not even thinking about like, hey, what are these new ideas that we're potentially working with? It's like, what's tried, trusted, and true? Like, what have we Mm -hmm. been able to establish over a period of X amount of years that, hey, this, every time we do this, this works. And again, we we had shared time in in retail and holy smokes, Mm -hmm. were we constantly looking in the rearview mirror there in terms of like, did we send an email? Was it, did a flyer go out this week? Did, um, yeah. Like everything was based on historical events. All you had to do, yeah. you want to understand, actually, for all our listeners out there, if you want to know what the strategy for retail is, sign up for one year to their email program and you'll have their playbook for the next five years. Yeah, just hyperlink every email into a calendar. Exactly. <laughs> You've got their entire playbook. You'll know exactly what sales are going when. Yeah, that's it. And it's, they do the same thing year over year because there's comps. You got to you got you're exactly comparing your sales today versus sales last year. On exactly, the same day. it's yeah. crazy. And so the, all the deals are basically the same because they're just, or, or maybe they're increasing the discount. Maybe, yeah. So there may be some right. subtle, but you can bank on that week, week thirteen. Yeah, every year there's going to be a sale of some sort. Yeah, like a footwear clearance sale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, it's true. I mean, there's that, there's the history and then there's like, did it work? Which oftentimes isn't really part of the equation. It's just that that's what we did. We didn't really even really track and see if it was incremental to what we would have got anyway. Yeah. Because it wasn't going off like purchase behaviors. And I think there's a general seasonality. If we're going to pick on retail right now, there is a general seasonality. You know, we have back to school, we have, you know, mm-hmm. um, back to specific sports, you know, winter season, all that. So naturally, there's going to be different products that are coming into mm-hmm. every season. Um, but think about all the anomalies we had to deal with. Remember that we had a Blue Jays mm-hmm. run. All of a sudden, that Blue yeah. Jays run during that time really kind of, you know, change the, the the landscape because we were trying to totally. source like blue jay jerseys and yeah. it actually overcompensated for another category if i don't remember what other category that wasn't selling yeah. well but we're able to meet comps yeah. again but like yeah. who's planning for those anomalies yeah or we had the one 
where there was a snowstorm in September and you're like, we sold out of boots and jackets. Yeah, exactly. And then the next year we're like, oh my God, comps are down. Why, why are comps down? Oh yeah, there's a snowstorm last year, a freak snowstorm. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's those things yeah. where it's like if you're if you're staying closer to some of those intent signals and understanding the behaviors, you can plan for this a lot differently than what you know mm-hmm. it's historically in a in a calendar. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you can build some agility into your into your planning processes, mm-hmm. your strategy sessions and whatnot. And again, like you have integrated thinking um Mm -hmm. to use or design thinking to kind of help you know do that for you Mm -hmm. yeah and you know just to wrap up on that i i do think like choosing your future is kind of an interesting idea because it's not just about being on autopilot no like there's a lot of choices and we (laughs) kind of um for me anyway i think oftentimes lulled into thinking that i don't have a choice (laughs) um just because of the way things work yeah and and don't recognize the opportunity of making and choosing a better option totally totally yeah we we we, i don't i hate the word complacent but sometimes in these settings i think as marketers we become complacent it's like the business Mm -hmm. has kind of set this level of expectation that you know if you at least do what you did last year you're Mm -hmm. fine yeah. And that doesn't yeah. that doesn't actually put us in that uncomfortable state where we're trying to solve for something net new. And I think that's where the mm-hmm. marketers you'll see like they're constantly moving to different companies is because at some point they just get tired of being repetitive and they want to be mm-hmm. challenged. They want to do something different. They want to, you know, start thinking differently, more creatively or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But, you know, you could probably incubate that with an organization and keep people there longer if you give them the autonomy right yeah and in, and that's part of it. i think the great thing about creating great choices is that you include people in that yeah. process and, and it's intended to bring in diverging or not diverging but different points of view yeah uh which creates um i think a bit of a, a like an affinity for people to like feel as though they're a part of something and, and making yeah. a contribution because they're part of the choices that are happening so you know what you just said there for such a small like when you think now that we're getting into this like for such a relatively yeah creating great choices like yeah it's a very it's profound i think actually that it could have such big implications in a company down the road or being just like pick a or b well it doesn't have to be a or b well how do we go yeah how do we make a better choice yeah and then all of a sudden you got like this inclusion that thing that happens and diversity that you know you're counting on and yeah. depending on. It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. If you remember when we were talking to Dave Bunce and you know, we were trying to kind of articulate how can marketers kind of, you know, involve or bring finance or accounting closer together. It's like involve them in those brainstorming processes and make them a part mm-hmm. of the process of what, you know, a marketer goes through to what is it to see the end result of a campaign coming live. It's like, mm-hmm. well, actually, if you use one of these frameworks, you can involve multiple stakeholders. Totally. So totally. I would argue that, you know, this is a way of bringing the organization closer together and rallying around an idea or a problem statement that we're trying to solve for as mm-hmm. a group. Mm-hmm. What is marketing's involvement Great. here? What is finance? How is finance going to help in this situation? Uh, you know, Great. operations. What are you going to do on the front line? You know, all these little things. Yeah. 
to help solve X. You know, I think that yeah. becomes incredibly po powerful and it creates a culture of innovation. And I don't know anyone who doesn't want that. Totally. B, this has been a great post pod, man. Yeah, buddy. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh yeah, and thanks to Jennifer for this. This has been awesome. She was she was great, Jennifer. Thank you very much for uh for uh humoring all our questions. Yeah. All right, man. Until right, next man. time. Sounds good. <laughs>